says, who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to do all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised. In the city where they had done such things, this also is vanity, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity, and I commend joy For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, we do. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the chance to get together and to worship you. So now, Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just remove any distractions from our minds. Help us to focus on you. Open our hearts to your truth. Help us see Jesus and be drawn to follow him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Life is filled with much frustration. The, the, these frustrations that we go through in life, they always lead us to want to know wisdom. Don't they? they always ask us, when you're frustrated, you're going through a difficult time, you, you want to know wisdom. You don't want to fail. You, don't want, you want to know what the right thing to do. You want to know what, what path to go to. So all these frustrations in life, they, they call us to want to know what wisdom is. And the Western world on Friday was rocked again by chaos and confusion. And and the thing that came out of that was the next day a guy took his bike, maybe you saw it, pulled the grand piano up to the theater where all those people were killed and played John Lennon's song, Imagine, which says, Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It's hard to do. Nothing to kill or die. And for no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer. 
But I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions, I wonder if you can, no need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. That song came out in the 60s. But in 2015, it's still relevant today because the world would love to imagine that all the frustrations of life weren't real, that we didn't have to deal with them. That's not what the author of Ecclesiastes is. He is a realist. And all the way through, he is the preacher, the teacher. He is helping us see the reality of life and saying, hey, you want to live life, live life under the sun in a certain way? See where it will get you? You will notice that it is filled with anxiety. And he's tried them all. He's taken us down all these different alleys these last few weeks. And he said, hey, try money. See if it satisfies. Try pleasure. See if it satisfies. Try possession. See that it satisfies. And he says, these are all dead-end roads that only lead to frustration, which has created for us a very anxious world filled with fear. I mean, anxiety is on the rise. And wisdom is desperately wanted. People are looking for a wise way. A way that they can get through their situation. And the psalmist, or the author of Ecclesiastes, he says, Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? He's also almost mocking the idea that it's even possible after all that he's looked to, He comes to this and he says, who's like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? And really the answer is, under the sun, no one is. And he pulls that right from what we looked at last week where he said that verse 29 says, see this alone I found. After he tried to seek out wisdom in verse 19 of chapter 7, it says that wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than ten rulers who are in a city. And so he tested everything looking for wisdom and he says at the end of that search, See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Which is why we look all around the world, and it is like we people, and often even us, life under the sun is just like living on an oval racetrack. You're just going around and around and around, and Ecclesiastes says it's that existence in itself is mundane, it's weary, It's toil, it's vanity, it's absurd, the wackiness of life. He says people search for wisdom and try to find things, but at the end, it's not going to be found. Because there's two ways to look at life. One view that looks at life is all the problems are outside of ourselves. And the other way to look at life, it says the problems are inside ourselves. The world says that the problems that we have are outside of ourselves. The Bible says the problem is with inside ourselves. And the author of Ecclesiastes, when he was looking for his answers in chapter 7, he says that the thing that shocked him, surprised him, was that God made things upright, but man turned, and they have sought out many schemes. What he discovered on this oval circle racetrack of life that we are living, just going round and around, he discovered is that man crashed at turn two. I don't know how many NASCAR fans um, we have. It kind of goes in spurts. Sometimes you love NASCAR. Sometimes you're ashamed to admit that you like NASCAR. But if you do like NASCAR, they are in the search for the cup right now. 
And I just looked up some stuff on S on racing, and statistically, most crashes take place on turn two, which is exactly what happened in life. The Bible says in Genesis 1 that he created us perfect. He put us in a perfect place, gave us a perfect existence. He then put man with woman, gave them everything that they could possibly need. They, they made it through the start. They got through turn one, and then all of a sudden things crashed at turn two. Genesis 3, 4 through 6 says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, you will be opened And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. It was this desire for humans to be more wise. I think that they needed more, looking for something else, looking for this wisdom. That's where the crash occurred. It's the same way for people today. They are looking for wisdom. They are completely lost. They're living on this racetrack, going over and over, round and round. It's mundane. It's monotonous. They can't figure it out. They get wealth, and they're not satisfied. They get fame, and they're not satisfied. Justin Bieber just came out this week and said, as a 21-year-old, he is isolated, he's depressed, and he's got everything. That's the world, and they can't figure out why. And it's the same thing for Christians sometimes, too. We have all these paradoxes of our life, which is what Ecclesiastes talks about. We're, we're looking for wisdom. We can't find, figure out why. This is an old prayer was written. It says, O changeless God, under the conviction of thy spirit, I learn that the more I do, the worse I am. The more I know, the less I know. The more holiest I, holiness I have, the more sinful I am. The more I love, the more there is to love. O wretched man that I am, O Lord, I have a wild heart and cannot stand before thee. I am like a bird before a man. How little I love thy truth and ways. I neglect prayer by thinking I have prayed enough and earnestly by knowing that thou hast saved me. Of all the hypocrites, grant that I may not be an evangelical hypocrite who sins more safely because grace abounds, who tells his lusts that Christ's blood cleanseth him, who reasons that God cannot cast him into hell for he is saved, who loves evangelical preaching, churches, Christians, but lives unholy. My mind is a bucket without a bottom, with no spiritual understanding, no desire for the Lord's day, ever learning but never reaching the truth, always at the gospel well but never holding water. My conscience is without conviction or contrition, with nothing to repent of. My will is without power of decision or resolution. My heart is without affection and full of leaks. My memory has no retention, so I forget easily the lessons I learn, and my truths seep away. Give me a broken heart that yet carries home the water of grace. The world is looking for wisdom to figure out life that is broken. And even as Christians sometimes, we are still looking for wisdom. Because we think we've gained, we think we know, but it just seems like sometimes it seeps away from us. It would be really nice, if we were honest, if we had some help. If we had a spotter. In NASCAR, there's these guys that sit on top of the track. 
looking above everything else when the drivers can't see exactly what's going on in turn two or where the next crash is or how to get through. There's a guy at the top who's a spotter for them. He's talking into their ear. He's saying, turn here. He's encouraging them. He's helping them. He's guiding them through. He's spotting for them all the way through the racetrack so they can come through it successfully. And that really is what Ecclesiastes chapter 8 is doing for us when it comes to wisdom. He's saying, listen, I looked at the world. And life under, under the sun, very complicated, very confusing. There seems to be a lack of wisdom, lack of knowledge, how to get around. And so what I'm going to do for you, I'm going to spot you. I'm going to give you some help in wisdom. I'm going to show some pointers to you to help you survive the schemes of man and how to manage life under the frustration of the sun. And he starts to look at life and he says this. He starts looking around, and he talks about these people in authority, these king's commands. And he's looking at it, and he says, listen, people are broken. We're all broken. We wanted our own way. We all rebelled. That's what I found out in chapter 7. I'm shocked by it, he says almost. He can't get over how much people sin, how the depravity of man is so strong. He says that God made people upright, but they have made their, they made their many schemes. There's just a brokenness in people. And so then he starts to move to authorities. How are you going to survive life in a broken world filled with people who are broken? And then they create these institutions, these authorities, these governments, these businesses, and even in church, these institutions. And what he really says is, in verses 2 through 8, he says, institutions are corrupt because they are composed of people. He talks about dealing with the king and dealing with authority. And he says, whoever keeps the command will know, eat, know no evil thing, and the wise in heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. And he's talking about how do you deal with authorities? How do you deal with institutions that are over us, that we all have, and as you go through life? There is a huge cynicism for institutions in our culture. We do not like institutions, be it government, be it church, be it any kind of police officers, teachers. There was a recent Gallup poll that said of all the top 10 institutions in our society, in our culture, the military ranked the highest. They got 42% trust. Churches and organized religious got 25%. The justice system got 9%. Big business got 9%. And they said the reason was for especially business and economy in America is because in in 9-11, everything got rocked. Our sense of security was gone. And in 2008, when the economy went bad, bad decisions by Congress, poor choices, the cynicism of institutions is at all-time high because people believe and they feel that their future is out of their control. And that's what he's talking about. There's this great fear, and we need wisdom to deal with those institutions. He goes, look, as you go all through this, he goes, I observed while applying my heart to all that is under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. Institutions are corrupt at times because people are corrupt is what he's trying to say. So be very careful where you place your wisdom and where you put your trust and how you put your trust in those things because our future is not in our control. No matter what you try to do, be careful how you deal with that in using 
wisdom. Even in churches, we are so quick to put people on pedestals. And we forget that people are people. We all have sin. So be very careful how you address those things. And we need to do three things, I think, to help with this. We need to pray, pace ourselves, and participate. When we look at our institutions going on, especially when it comes to government and all the things going on in the world, we have to be very careful, I think, how we join in ourselves in those things. The Bible says this about institutions. So people get so riled up and they think, oh, this guy, if, if, if he gets elected, then the world's going to change. Things are going to be good for me. Uh, this is the most important election of my lifetime. Or this is the most important election of my lifetime. I've heard that for my entire life. It's the most important election of our lifetimes. But this is what God says in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel, who lived under great oppression and many difficulties, he said this when he was asking God for wisdom to deal with the authority in his life, the institution. God gave him wisdom, and then David prayed this in Daniel chapter 2. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with them. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have have made known to me what we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. We need to pray for our leaders. They're individuals, flesh and blood, human beings, who God placed in places of authority. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says this, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. If we're not careful as believers and the preacher's giving us some wisdom, saying, listen, life's wacky, life's out of joint, things are messed up. Don't put all your eggs in one basket thinking that an institution, politically, is going to rescue you from all your problems. Be very careful how you deal with it. I'm the one that puts them up, he says, God says. I'm the one who puts them down. God's not wringing his hands in worry over who's the president or who's a leader. He put them all there. But what he says for us to do is to pray for them and live quiet, godly, and dignified lives. Let me just ask you on your social media this week, when it comes to the authorities that God has placed over you, if someone was to read that and did not know you, would they say that person lives a godly, dignified life? Because look how they're writing about their leaders. Look how they're writing about people in authority over them. That reflects a godly and dignified life. That's how we should deal with it. We should pray for them. Lift them up. Pray for them. Prepare and live godly, dignified lives and pace ourselves. That God's going to be in charge of this. He's going to He will bring things around at the proper time. And then participate. When wrong is wrong, we need to stand up for it. And when it is right to support and encourage, we need to do that as well. God has placed all those authorities over us. And the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, when it comes to wisdom, we're all looking for 
says, be very careful who you jump on their bandwagon. Be very careful how you jump off their bandwagon. And be very careful how you talk about them. Because I'm the one that put them there in the first place. I am in control of all those things for practical wisdom. But then he moves on. And he says, life is wacky. We all have to deal with authorities in our life. We all struggle with that authority, but do it in a dignified, godly way. But then he says, listen, there's another problem with life where you need a spotter. And it has been a problem for him all the way through the book of Ecclesiastes. And he basically says, injustice is everywhere. Which, from verse 10 all the way to the end, basically Romans chapter, of Ecclesiastes chapter 8, you could say what my English teacher, Mrs. Elliot, used to always tell us when we didn't like something. Life's not fair. Life is not fair. That's what he says. He says, look, I've looked around and I, and I saw the wicked buried. And, and, they, the, and then the problem was they were wicked, but people still praised them. They were frustrated by this. Wickedness gets rewarded. He says, because the sentence of evil indeed is not executed speedily. Because someone does wrong and they don't get caught or they don't get charged with it, justice isn't done, more wickedness takes place. Wickedness is rewarded. Wrong seems to win, he says in verse 11. And that because it seems to win, it just seems to continue. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. I was listening to a program this week about human trafficking and sex trafficking in the United States, which is not just an international problem where it's people being brought into the United States. It's, it's domestic. Boys and girls, children of America, are being brought up by people, groomed, snatched, caught, spending years of their life as slaves in the open. In New York, in Newark, New Jersey, for four years, there was girls who would, every day would take the subway, walk to their, this hair salon, braid people's hair for 12 to 14 hours a day, walk back home. The whole time, they were slaves to people. And right in front of the, the open in America, and people aren't getting caught with this, happening everywhere. So much so that in Atlanta, people make $32,000 a week through human trafficking of boys and girls in our country. And Kohelet says, this, this situation needs wisdom. Where are we going to find it? But he says, this is the way life is. There's just injustice everywhere. Life is not fair. Wrong seems to win. Right gains the wrong. This week on Tuesday, 29-year-old pastor's wife, Amanda Blackburn, in her home with her one-year-old son. She's pregnant. All of a sudden, a break-in. She gets shot in the head, and she's dead. This is the injustices of life, he says. And he just says, I see this over and over and over again. Wickedness is rewarded. Wrong seems to win. Right gains the wrong. And he says, information just really doesn't help us. It just drains us at the end, verse 16. He says, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night does one's eyes sleep. No matter how much you try to figure out how the world's going to work, if you're just trying to figure out life under the sun, apart from God, you can have all the information in the world and you'll still not be able to figure things out. I was watching Charlie Rose this past week. And they had the editor of the New York Times on there. 
And I'm a news geeky guy. I love news. And so he said, every morning he gets up at nine o'clock in the morning. He has, he does four, he does, he reads the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, the Guardian, and the New York Times. All four newspapers. So I love that kind of stuff. So I clicked on the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, the Guardian, and I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read with the guy who, who edits in the New York Times reads. I wanna know what's going on. And, all week long, I've been getting these links to different news events just filled with chaos after chaos after chaos. And you're not going to be able to figure out the world by looking at the news. It's just going to confuse you over and over again, the author of Ecclesiastes says. Life under the sun cannot be figured out that way. Which is why even hundreds of years ago, Robert Burns wrote a poem. He was out farming one day, turned over a mouse's nest, caught the little mouse, and he wrote a poem about it. He says, But mouse friend, you are not alone, Improving foresight may be vain. The best laid schemes of mice and men go often awry, and leave us only grief and pain for promised joy. Still, friend, you're blessed compared with me. Only present dangers make you flee, but ouch, behind me I can see grim prospects, dear, while forward-looking seers we humans guess with fear. What he's saying is, listen, if you try to figure out life under the sun apart from God, it's better to be a mouse than to be a human. Because if you're a mouse, all you have to do is survive for the day. But humans, we can remember the bad things that happened to us in our childhood, and we can only dread the things that are coming in our future. And we need wisdom to deal with that. But the Bible says this is not the way it's always going to be. Psalms 37 said, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it only tends to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. With all the chaos of this week, if you were on the internet at all this week, and social media, you would have known that on Monday, the world was all upset about cups. And on Friday, it was filled with absolute chaos in Paris. And you know what's going to happen tomorrow? The world is going to be up and up, roar about something with nonsense until something great comes. And they're going to be upset with nonsense until something tragic comes again. And they're going to be upset with nonsense until tragic comes again. And the author of Ecclesiastes says, this is life. That's the racetrack of life. And if you try to live life under the sun, that's all you have to look forward to. There's no peace in that. There's no joy in that. But Ann Voskamp this week said this, God never lets the last line of the story be shattered pieces. God never lets the last line of the story be shattered pieces. So he does give us some hope. And maybe this morning you just say this. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, Paul. You're right. I can read the newspaper too. I can see that this world is wacky, that I don't understand it even myself, even as a Christian sometimes. It's difficult to deal with. And I believe that. And I I'm actually in agreement with you on that. But the truth is, Paul, 
I just wish there was maybe someone spotting for me. It doesn't really feel like anybody's spotting for me. I believe what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I I believe that God is in the big things and he's dealing with all those things and it is sovereign. It's way out of my control and I can't understand it. I, I agree with that. But it doesn't feel like anybody's spotting for me. Is there anything just personally? I can't understand the stuff that took place in Paris. I can't understand the chaos that goes in the world, but I do know what I'm going through today, and it feels sometimes like nobody's spotting for me. You feel that way? And he says this, who is like the wise and knows the interpretation of a thing? And and there is one who is like the wise. What the author of Ecclesiastes didn't know fully was he was pointing to a greater story. The story isn't done yet. God, who is sovereignly in control, was going to send his son, Jesus, to take on human flesh like ours. And the Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And he just didn't do that in a big grand scheme where he, he came to earth and he ruled in some institution over top of everybody else. He wasn't just in charge of people doing things. No, he actually came and he spotted for individuals and for people. And one day, while I was walking to another place, he came through Samaria. And while he was walking in Samaria, he met a woman who was on her way to a well. And this woman was overwhelmed by life. She was lost and needed wisdom. She had multiple husbands who treated her poorly. She had been indoctrinated with bad theology. She was isolated. Nobody else would even walk with her to the well. She was such an outcast in her town. She had been insulted by people for the way she lived her life. She was absolutely insecure and fearful because when this man, Jesus, said to her, can you give her some water? She had absolute just defensiveness all the way through. She didn't know how to handle this. And maybe she felt like one of the survivors from Friday night's theater accident when he said it was carnage. Maybe her life was like this. She would have said to Jesus, my life's carnage. I, I saw my final hour unfurl before me. I thought this was the end. I thought I am finished. And for all reasons, the woman in John chapter 4 that was walking that day to the well, that was her life. As far as it was concerned, her life was just absolute carnage. She couldn't find a man that would stay with her. She was treated by an outcast. She had no friends. Nobody who would say, I'll walk with you in your pain, and we'll get water together no matter what anybody else says. She didn't have anybody like that. And then Jesus came to her, and he says, give me something to drink. And through his conversation with her, Her life was absolutely changed, so much so that she went back, running back, and said, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. A woman who at the beginning was in absolute shock with the carnage of her life filled with shame is now running up to people and saying, listen, I met the Savior. I met somebody who spotted for me. I met somebody who loves me. I met somebody who's taken my shame away. And she had, for the first time in her life, a true fear of God, which is the awe and holy caution that arises from the realization of the greatness of God. And the people saw it. The people recognized it, and they asked Jesus to stay two more days. 
They had unbelievable joy, which is what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. He says, I commend joy to you. How are you going to find wisdom to deal with life when it's a mess? Your life is carnage. You have just wish somebody was looking out for you. The Bible says that Jesus is looking out for us. He is filled with wisdom. So when he says, I commend joy to you, we actually can have joy. There's true wisdom that's going to be found in the fear of God and seeing Jesus for who he is and turning from our sin and repentance and trusting Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life, which is what this woman did. And when she did that, her whole face shone. It's like the light bulb went off. Her face shined for the first time. She had true joy, true peace, which is what's going to happen to us. Because 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, Let light shine out of darkness. And light has shined out of darkness, has shined into our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. A man's wisdom makes this face shine, and the hardness of life is changed. That's what happened to the woman at the well. She had a new message of grace. Maybe you're like, man, I am overwhelmed with the realities of the world, but I am more overwhelmed with the realities of my own life, and I just need someone to spot me and point me in the right direction. So this morning, I just want to point you again to Jesus, whose face shines over you, whose love for you is overwhelming, who didn't just stay up and create some institution, but he came and he met a broken woman at a well and privately met with him, which means he's going to do the same thing for you, no matter where you are. He comes to us, he meets with us, and he gives us life, and he transforms us, and he lets our face shine so we can have true joy. Have you been transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ? Has your life changed where the shame is gone? That you can say, it is well with my soul. That's the message of the good news of Jesus. That's the second thing I want to say is just ask you, what's your message? If you can say along with me, it's well with my soul. I know Jesus is my spotter. I know he can guide me through the chaos of life, even when I don't understand things. But what's the message of your life? Is the message of your life at work wisdom? Where people see you? And they say, wow, his face shines. There's something about them that their face shines. The way they talk, the way they live, there's something about them that shines. It seems like they've got a spotter in their life. They, they seem to have somebody pointing things out for them. They seem to have a way of wisdom that I don't. Is that the message of your life? Or the people that are around you through this week, are they just like, hey, that guy's in the same predicament I am. He, he feels the same way about life that I do. That's not what God has for us. Let me encourage you this week. Use your work and use your words. If it is well with your soul to shine and let people say, hey, life is difficult. Life is confusing for me too, but I got a spotter. I got somebody who gave his life for me. I got somebody who loves me, who took away all my guilt, all my shame, and can do it for you if you will follow Jesus. Life is frustrating and wisdom is needed. But Jesus is the power of God and the wisdom of God, and we can hope in him. Is it well with your soul? Jesus will 
Come. <clears throat> Jesus will make it well with your soul. And then he wants us to shine as lights and give his, his wisdom to the world. Well, it is well.